haven't met you, my name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, kind of our general routine during this time is um, my wife, Sonia, and I will uh, kind of do our, our team talk uh, thing. But as I went into, she's not here today, so um, we'll just be me. But uh, which is terrifying, right? Like, um, <laughs> but uh, oh, that was kind of fishing, I suppose. I shouldn't have done that. Um, but I, uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Oh, you know, I know everybody loves Sonia more than me. You know, oh. <laughs> no, it's not true. Yeah, <laughs> no, but um, we value hearing uh, from what we often call the word of God, uh, scripture, the Bible, um, this collection of letters and, and histories and, and stories that were written. I mean, you, you think about that, this collection of, of, of material written over a course of like 1,200 to 1,500 years. Isn't that incredible? Like, and it still has this cohesion and it's this storyline that comes from this people group and um, it captures so much uh, culture and, and captures so much truth. And then ultimately for us as, uh, if you consider yourself a believer or following follower of Jesus, for us it captures this testimony, this witness to who Jesus Christ uh, was and is. And so that's why we do this. Uh, I, I'm fond of, um, there's a theologian uh, from the 20th century, his last name was Barth, and I'm really fond of the way he thought about uh, Bible thought about scripture and and he he would say that you know we don't um, we don't listen to scripture because it's um, you know some sort of magic book or the book itself has it, we listen to it because it points to the person of Jesus and um, so that's that's how I think about it when we come to this stuff is is um, how does this point us to being in relationship with Jesus how does this uh, push us to change our behaviors. If you've decided to to do that, right? You've decided to follow Jesus. You've decided to be a, a disciple, a learner uh, from Jesus. Um, you know, I think he's the greatest teacher. That's that's one of the things that um, always stood out to me with uh, some of the uh, classes I took about world religions and that sort of thing. And there's one vein of uh, Buddhism that I was fascinated with because um, the search that the the folks that were um, teaching us about that form of Buddhism was that their search was for the ultimate teacher. That was ultimately what they were looking for, was this, this, this like teacher who can show them the way to, to light, to enlightenment. And, um, you know, for me, immediately, I was like, well, if I was a Buddhist, I guess Jesus would be my greatest teacher, right? That's, that's who I would search for. I would, I would look to find uh, who he is and uh, what it is, because I just have found so much light and truth in the person of Jesus. And so we're hoping to discover that as we, as we look at this stuff. So if you haven't been hanging out with us for a while, we've been working through a letter uh, just titled James that we believe was uh, either uh, a collection of writings from him, or he actually put together this letter as like a sermon and um, to his church in Jerusalem. And so we've been working through that, and eventually, as we get down to actually reading the text today, it'll be in James chapter 5, uh, verses 7 through 12. And so if you want to look, you can look at that. But in general, James has been challenging uh, a culture that is politically distraught, right? And um, 
the poor feel oppressed by the wealthy, and uh, it is instruction on how to not um, how to not let that that the ten, the typical tendency of humans to value people who have more more than those who have less. Right? There's a constant theme of that going through, and then there's a challenge going out to the um, to the poor in the church, which is probably most of who was in the church. Uh, a challenge to not get caught up in the uh, kind of violent fervor of the time, right? And so it's this incredible kind of encapsulation uh, um, that holds a lot of things in tension, right? Because it, it doesn't pull punches about the fact that the oppressed are absolutely uh, kept down by the rich. It doesn't pull punches on that at all. But it also doesn't allow for the poor to decide that they're going to join the violent factions uh, that were going on in Jerusalem at the time. And so it's, uh, it's a, an incredible book to me. I, I, I love going through it, but we're coming to the end of that. So you won't have to wait much longer for the next thing. <laughs> right? But uh, that was kind of a ham-handed segue. Who likes waiting? That's what I was wanting to say. Who likes waiting? Yeah, does anybody like waiting? No, <laughs> not even one. Does anyone remember waiting? Like, do you remember, like, actually waiting, right? I don't mind waiting. It's where I'm waiting. That, that plays a huge part in it, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, because we've become kind of an on-demand culture, Right? You think, just think through the stuff that we do, what we access. Uh, we're kind of a, maybe another way of saying it is the one-click buy culture, right? I notice that if I'm shopping for something on Amazon, you know, I've got this one button. I can just beep, and it's all done. It just beep, they're going to bring it to my house. You know, a free two-day shipping culture, right? That's kind of who we are. In the olden days, you had to wait. Some of you may not remember this, right? There used to be these things called catalogs. Anybody? <laughs> for you guys, you younger folks... Um, catalogs were like paper websites, right? So I remember working my way through like the toy section or the sporting goods section of the Sears catalog and just like, especially if it was close to Christmas time, actually like circling things because that was our, our wish list, you know, and going through and, and, and looking at that. Um, it would take weeks for something to be delivered if you ordered it. Uh, from from Sears, right? And um, we lived in kind of a rural area, so but it wasn't really rural, so it was worth it a lot of the time to actually drive the 60-mile round trip uh, to go pick something up from a store. Because otherwise, it might be six weeks, seven weeks for something to... Uh, oh, a store. You guys, a store, if you don't know, <laughs> is like a website, but with real stuff inside a building. So um, we aim to educate at every turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember ordering a uh, a pocket knife um, when I was like I don't know eight. You know, I saved my my uh, uh, grass cutting. Anybody else make money as a kid cutting grass? I, I it was my first like job starting when I was eight was cutting the neighbor lady's lawn, and I'd save up my dollars. And um, you know, I I I loved all things tools, right? And so I was like, oh, I'm going to get this pocket knife. I just remember waiting for weeks and weeks uh, for this thing, you know? It's, and it's one of those things where they didn't even have a phone number, right? They, you had to, like, 
look at the address, fill out like a request, send a check or cash in for this thing, and then just wait, just hope that this person you sent money to would send you something back. And you just, you have no clue when it might come, if it might come. You're just waiting, right? And they, so it's like this, on, I remember just waiting and waiting and just the intense excitement when it arrived, you know. <gasps> My package is here, you know. Mom finally is like, hey, here it is. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And that was, you know, followed by uh, equally intense disappointment, realizing it was a piece of junk, you know, as many things that you ordered from a catalog was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was a mess. But um, and then I thinking along this line, right? I was like, what was the greatest development of my patients? Like one of the stories in my in my lifetime that really really stretched my patients, and it was Sonia and I's engagement. Um, we got engaged while she was on tour with a group that traveled from the school we went to. They promoted the school, and they did an eight month uh, long tour. And so we had gotten engaged at kind of the beginning of that tour, and um, we didn't really see each other kind of for that whole time. I'd seen her, I'd gone out a couple times and actually just seen her while she was uh, out performing, and, um, but didn't really get to spend any time with her. And you're just waiting for when we get to hang out again and just be together uh, while we're engaged, leading up to our, our marriage. And she, so she gets um, done with the tour in December, and in December, I was a part of the, the uh, U.S. Army National Guard. And in, Dece in December, I got called up, uh, got orders to get shipped out to Germany uh, in January. And so, like, she got home, and it was almost immediately I get this call. And I'm like, hey, I, I'm not going to be able to move back to Minneapolis where you're at. I'm, they're sending me to Germany. And, um, and so it's still one of those intense memories because I had to leave on Christmas Day. I went up and spent Christmas with Sonia and her family, and uh, I had to leave on Christmas Day to uh, drive home to report for duty the next day. And, um, and then I was gone for nine months uh, for that. And so it was... Um, that was tough. And that was actually the hard part. The, uh, the time when she was on tour wasn't so bad because we knew when it was going to come to an end, right? We knew how long we had to wait. We knew what, what uh, you know, that was all going to look like. It was planned out. Um, you know, we could regularly talk. It was pretty easy. Um, when the military takes you somewhere, they, they tell you very little. <laughs> and they just go, you show up here and we'll ship you there. And you might be there for a while, and then we might move you over here. And you're just waiting. You kind of have you have orders, and you're just looking at the date on those orders, and that date might come to an end, and they just issue new orders is what they do. So you just are, like, just kind of waiting, just hoping, right? You're watching, you're watching for signals in your leadership, seeing how they behave. Are they going to let you know, let you in on anything? Are they packing their gear, you know, getting ready to go home? Um, and, and then finally you get that announcement, right? And um, you're like, oh, we're going home. And, you're, and you don't trust it because you've been told it. They would tell us like, oh, we think you're going home, you know, and then it would pass and you're not, oh. And then finally we're like, we're getting on the airplane. We are going home. Like this is, this is legit. And that was crazy exciting to get home uh, for that. And that was tough, right? But that season of waiting um, has become kind of a personal metaphor uh, for me with the waiting we do for God. 
right? That has just always stuck so, because it's so deeply emotional, right? It's just stuck in my mind, and it's something I can learn from uh, pretty regularly if I think about the way we end up waiting on God, right? We wait for God to speak, right? When we're seeking after something or we just don't understand what to do in life or why something happens, we, we wait to hear. We may wait for him to inspire us, right? When you, you, if you've had those moments where God has kind of inspired you and set you in a direction and, and, and driven you somewhere, and then uh, when that starts to wane, um, you start to have a longing for him to, like, inspire you again. And sometimes it's just this, just waiting, just, God, inspire us. We wait for God to just fill us with his spirit. We wait for him to call us. Right? We wait for him to heal us or to heal somebody we love or we care about. We wait for his provision. We wait for God to save us while believing he has already saved us. It's one of the incredible paradoxes of the idea of salvation found in Scripture is this idea that um, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And as Christians, we wait for Christ to return and to make all things right. Like the ultimate salvation of all things. That's the story. The story is that this place is broken and that Christ came back to show us what it's going to be like. That's what the good news is, right? The good news is his teaching about his kingdom and how it's going to be when it comes. And how it's going to flip this world's values and the brokenness of this world on its head. And that's what we wait for. That's the, that's the hope of Christianity is waiting for the ultimate salvation of all things. We wait expecting that it could happen today or within our lifetime or after. I think in that we're a lot like the uh, first Christians and even the writers of the New Testament. Um, I was kicking around in some commentaries, as I do when I'm getting one of these talks together, and um, the New Bible commentary had this phrase that jumped out to me. It says, the, the New Testament frequently refers to Christ's return as near, um, while most of the writers probably expected this to happen within their lifetime, it is a tension that is always in the air, for no one knows when it will be, next second or next century. If you spend any time in Christian circles, you've wrestled with this question. You've wrestled with the idea of, of people um, sensing, like in, the, in their heart, they're like, I think, I think Christ will be back soon. Um, if you grew up in kind of a, a holiness church or a, a church that had an emphasis on that kind of teaching, you, you've, you've had elders in your church, especially as they got older, that was, they're like, I think the Lord is going to be back anytime now. I, I can sense he's coming. And we listen, and we, we listen to our elders, and we're challenged by it. But then we're also challenged by the fact that they pass on, and he still hasn't returned. So it's a tension that we live in. It's, it's, it's a tough aspect of this story is this waiting, right? This hoping in the midst of um, sometimes the apparent silence, Right? I mean, that's part of, I believe, why he taught us that this faith thing, this connection to him uh, happens in community. 
the need to encourage one another, the need to uh, be able to look at one another and be like, you, you still here? Yeah, I'm still here. We're still doing this. Yeah. Where else would we go? You know, I always, I always think of that when, you, when you're discouraged. I think of that moment when Jesus is looking at his disciples after a bunch have fled, and he's like, you guys are still here? And they're like, where else would we go? <laughs> Who else would we go to? And that's, that's, I have that experience regularly uh, as a person following Christ is going, where, even when I'm discouraged, where else would I go? Who else would I turn to? I, and I think maybe you too have had, um, lived through seasons of like intense expectation, right? Seasons when the church was filled with the discussion of the end times, I know many of you, this was kind of the, the way you grew up, and, and you, you heard this teaching often, and, um, and maybe, maybe um, in an unbalanced way, right? That's one of the reasons I commit us as a community to moving through whole books of the Bible instead of, um, say, teaching a uh, thematic thing or, or just one theology or something that is uh, <laughs> a little narrow. Hey, Maddie. <laughs> Uh, it's my daughter, Maddie, if you don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, So you have these seasons. We, we had a, totally a season of this when I was growing up where the church was just kind of caught up in talking about end times. And those are seasons where, you know, any random car horn may be mistaken for the announcement of the rapture, right? Uh, I, I know that I have more than once have told stories about being convinced as a child that I had been left behind. Uh, and, and so if you grew up like me, you are familiar with that experience. You know, you can't find mom and dad. Uh, what happened? Certainly they've been taken, and I am still here. This is a problem, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you grew up that way, that's, that's how you grew up, because you were so expectant of the Lord's return. Um, I mean, and not to convince or confuse uh, dispensational theology, but the rapture is actually different from the second coming, but that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah, right, yeah, the, well, either generation of movies, right? There's, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Yes, that's the Billy Graham series, I believe. And then, uh, then some of you younger ones might be familiar with the Left Behind series. And, and that was kind of a, a new telling uh, of that. Um, but I've also experienced kind of the fatigue of living that way, right? Living out your faith in a way where you're just constantly uh, on edge, constantly having those child moments where you're like, oh, did I miss it? Did I, oh, did I, am I forgiven? Am I, oh my goodness, you know, and you're just, you're kind of in this, this tension and, and you have experiences where really good, wonderful elders in your church um, believe Jesus is coming back in their lifetime and then they pass on and you've got to wrestle with that question. Or you've got to go, what's going on here? Did there, I, were they wrong? Were they, did I, you know, you just, you have all of this kind of reflection if that's uh, kind of your story. And so you can have a tendency to swing the other way. As, as many of us have at, at times, I think, you swing the other way and you don't even concern yourself with the return of Christ. And the, what we would call the eschatological or end times teachings in the Bible are things that you don't um, spend your time on because they, uh, they cause tension and difficulty for you in your faith 
growing up. And so you can swing that way, and you can become more concerned with how I live my faith and my life in the here and now. I, I think uh, with the whole generation, that's kind of something that has happened in, in recent years, is um, almost a just not wanting to deal with the eschatological teachings, the end times teachings that are in Scripture. And as I've argued before, I think we lose something when we do that. Because it's all a story of hope, right? That's really the story. The story is a story of hope. The end time story is the story that, that I was talking about earlier. The hope that Christ will return and make all things right. That he will correct the brokenness in the kingdoms of the world and, and bring about the values of the kingdom of God. So nowadays I value both. I value both of those things, that, that expectation and hope of Christ's imminent return to set the world right. I hope for that. But I'm also continuing to learn how Christ in me, in us, can impact this world here and now. Right? That's the, and, it, and it's a tension because it's easy to swing one way or another. Right? And it's in, our, it's in our philosophical kind of foundations, Right? If you know anything about philosophy, you know that we get a lot of the way we think from Greek uh, philosophers. And one of the principles of that, that type of thought is um, dualism, right? spirit and matter. Spirit good, matter bad. And, and that kind of thinking, that dichotomy sort of thing. And so you're going to be tempted always to choose. Am I going to choose to be um, like a Christian that focuses entirely on the spiritual? Or am I a Christian that focuses in more on the physical? And we have our pre, pre, uh, predispositions toward these things. And this is all stuff that we got to wrestle with as we are trying to figure out what it is um, to become a follower of Jesus, right? I think, though, this is also how James waits. Right? This idea of waiting in that tension, I think that's how he waits. I think it's how he encourages his congregation to wait. And I, I, I think um, the how that we wait, I think that really matters. Right? It mattered how Sonia and I waited for each other in that, that uh, engagement time. Right? It mattered that we were faithful to one another. It mattered that we communicated. It mattered that we uh, both continued to work toward finishing our educations. You know, we didn't just, because we had this time of waiting and this time of being apart, we didn't just stop our lives. We, we had to continue to move, move forward. And on and on, you could give a million examples of, of it, the example of, of continuing to grow and develop, even as you're waiting to uh, come together as one. And James believed it mattered how we wait for Christ. So in this passage, he's challenging us to patience, but not just a, a patience where we just sit and hold on till Jesus comes, but he gives direction. And, and this is kind of the beginning of his conclusion to this letter. Uh, so you, you can hear, I'm going to just read the whole passage, just a few verses. You'll hear his exhortation to the church and how he really wants them to behave. James 5, starting in verse 7, says this. Meanwhile, friends, oh, and uh, sorry for the pause. Uh, I'm reading from the message in case you uh, are wondering what, what translation I'm reading from. James 5, 7. Meanwhile, friends, patient, or wait patiently for the master's arrival. You see, farmers do this all the time, waiting for their valuable crops to mature, patiently letting the rain do its slow but sure work. 
Be patient like that. Stay steady and strong. The master could arrive at any time. Friends, don't complain about each other. A far greater complaint could be lodged against you, you know. <laughs> the judge is standing just around the corner. Take the old prophet, prophets as your mentors. They put up with anything, went through everything, and never once quit, all the time honoring God. What a gift life is to those who stayed the course. You've heard, of course, of Job's staying power, and you know how God brought it all together for him at the end. That's because God cares, cares right down to the last detail. And since you know that he cares, let your language show it. Don't add words like, I swear to God, to your own words. Don't show your impatience by concocting oaths to hurry up God. Just say yes or no. Just say what is true. That way your language can't be used against you. So admittedly, this is not like a top 10 popular message to talk about, right? <laughs> Patience, waiting, that sort of stuff. I think um, it inevitably conjures up thoughts of being at the DMV. You know, I, I just, I think immediately if I, if I survey you on <laughs> what do you think of if I say patience, waiting, you know, no, oh, the DMV, that's a, <laughs> you think of brunch, oh, <gasps> say no more. Did you see my notes? Oh my goodness. This may be prophetic. Okay. Cause I, <laughs> seriously, my next line, um, I think as Portlanders, we have a wonderful metaphor um, and even a training ground for this kind of waiting. Uh, this is great. She answered my question. Where, yeah, where do Portlanders wait for hours in complete contentment and at peace with those around them? Yes. I remember being fascinated with this when I moved here and seeing the lines of people just totally chilling out, hanging out outside a restaurant for hours waiting for a spot at a mediocre brunch, you know, or, or at least, I mean, a good brunch. Some of them are excellent, but some of them are just, you know, I just like going there. I like going to this place. I like hanging out, drink, drinking coffee, being with my people, and just hanging out there, right? So this is my prayer for us. May you're waiting on the return of Christ be like a Portland brunch. Yeah. No matter how long you wait, may you never lose hope that your name is about to be called. Remember, um, <laughs> may you remain faithful to that brunch, not running around to other brunches, because this brunch could come at any moment. As you wait in the brunch line, may you treat each other well. Don't complain about each other. Remember, you might be seated next to that person at brunch. <laughs> and you probably aren't perfect either. And there might be bouncers at this brunch. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <an> intense brunch. <laughs> may you, like Portlanders of old, have the grit to faithfully wait, even when it rains or is cold and uncomfortable. And finally, don't be impatient and try to get ahead of others in line, being manipulative with your words. 
Be honest and wait patiently. So when you think of end times and waiting for Jesus, think of Portland brunch. <laughs> uh, I love, though, that that, you know, James, James holds all this stuff in tension. He holds this idea of, like, yes, the world is unjust. And, and, and we never can um, forget that. And when we have uh, positions of, uh, of, of power or influence, it's good for us to work towards the ideals of the kingdom of God as much as we can. But we acknowledge that this world is broken. And we acknowledge that we wait uh, for him to make it right ultimately. And then we acknowledge that it matters how we wait, that the way we treat one another and those around us is not just, it's not just an inconsequential thing. It is uh, essential to the walk, to what it is to be a Jesus follower. And so I invite you into that, to continue to let that uh, be what challenges you and, and grows you. And, and, um, and I, I invite you to brunch. <laughs> and, uh, and I would literally go to brunch with you if you want. So, but we're going to uh, wrap up and give a little bit of time to just reflect and pray. Uh, if you're new with us and you haven't hung out with us before, um, it's just we just leave a, a moment here. Uh, the band will play a song, and you can um, take that time to pray with one another or, or a journal or whatever it is that would be a, you know a authentic response for you. Um, there's also a table in the back with uh, some juice and crackers set up for communion. And um, if you uh, consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you're absolutely welcome at the table. There's also a basket in the back. It's one of the times we worship through giving, so you can um, put something there if you like. But otherwise, we're going to sing a song and give some time to reflect and pray. And then someone will come up and lead us in the reading of uh, our corporate reading of a passage that we've been uh, reading together at the end of our services. But um, other than that, uh, let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful for your light, your love, the community of people that you draw together. Lord, I pray that you would continue to teach us and to stretch us and to challenge us. Help us to be like you in the world that we uh, live in. Help us to not be overcome uh, by the darkness of this place at times and the, the, the brokenness that we experience. But help hope and faith and light to grow in each one of us and in us collectively. Make us um, an image of who you are to the world around us. God, we love you, and we, we ask for your help as we wait, because waiting's hard. And so be with us. Pour your spirit on us. Heal us. Forgive us as we forgive those who've wronged us. And make us into your likeness, God, in Jesus' name.